Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 61 called The Prophesized Ministry of Messiah. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord, Isaiah 61, 1, has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Let me read the NIV for you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord Done Yahweh is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The word poor there could be rendered the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So, this is the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, if you hold your finger in Isaiah and go to Luke 4, Jesus comes to his hometown. This is probably about a year into his public ministry. He grew up in Nazareth. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem, but he did grow up in Nazareth. And he came to the synagogue at Nazareth, and he came to preach. Um, Luke records that he was tempted, uh, he was baptized, and he returned to Galilee this is Luke 4.14, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began to teach, he began teaching in their synagogues, Luke 4.15, and was praised by all. You'll notice that there are synagogues there, because in the Galilee region, I think Josephus tells us there were about 240 different synagogues in Galilee, because that's that big region up in the northern part of Israel. So he was going from synagogue to synagogue, notice it's plural, and he was being praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, Jesus did keep the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. They would have uh, Torah readings in the synagogue, several readings. We're not sure where this reading fell, nor are we sure that this is the only thing that he read We don't know if this was the reading from the prophets on that day scheduled on that day, although I would submit to you that it probably was, knowing how God works. And so he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, he stood up to read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. This would actually be a scroll at this time. He opened the book, found the place where it was written, notice, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, sitting down, would be taking the position of the preacher. He wasn't just going back to his seat here. It's, they were waiting for commentary on the passage that he had just shared. And so he sat down, notice that the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, 
this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now you want to talk about a bombshell. That's a bombshell. Because even though many Jewish commentators believe that Isaiah was the one speaking for himself in Isaiah 61.1, Jesus, because there's a string of messianic uh, passages, those that refer to the coming of the Messiah as the servant of the Lord, and we'll look at several of those in a moment, Jesus was basically making a claim, not basically, he was making a claim to be the Messiah. He was saying, I am that figure from Isaiah 61. Now, remember, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. So Jesus is saying, you know what Isaiah penned 700 years ago? Today, in church, if you will, that scripture has been fulfilled before you. Now, you would think that there would be all kinds of excitement, but uh, after a few uh, um, positive words, all were speaking well of him, and they were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. They were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, 23, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, and he had done miracles there. Do here in your own hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, and he's a foreigner, the Syrian. And all in the synagogue, notice how quickly the crowd can turn, were filled with rage. You want to talk about a fickle crowd as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, He went his way. Amazingly, and we don't always put this together this way, but right after he made that incredible declaration in his hometown, in the synagogue, I am the fulfillment, I am the Messiah, Mashiach. You know what they did? They tried to throw him off a cliff. And this high spiritual moment, this this realization of what he was pronouncing caused the people to take him to the brow of the hill. Now, in the uh, Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, they had uh, two goats that would be sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. This is from Leviticus 16, and please turn back to Isaiah 61. One was the goat that would be sacrificed, and one was the goat that would become the scapegoat. And so the scapegoat would be chosen, the sacrificial goat would be chosen, And what they would do is the high priest would then lay his hands on the scapegoat. That's where we get the idea of a scapegoat. He would confess the sins of the people, the nation. And then the scapegoat would be released into the wilderness where he was supposed to carry the sins of the people away. And and he would go off into the wilderness and the sins would be gone. That was the picture. But something started to happen in Israel. They found that the scapegoat would come back. He was kind of like the dog or the cat that, you know, uh, was lost 
And you know how they just seem to find their way back, especially when they get hungry? Well, the goat would do that. But the goat was carrying all the people's sins. And so he'd come right back to where he, was, he left, and they'd say, oh, no, we can't have this. This ruins the whole picture. So what they started to do is they would have a man wait at the brow of a hill, and when the goat got to a certain point, they would take the goat and throw him off the edge of a cliff to make sure he did not return with the sins of the people. And Jesus in his own hometown, after he proclaims himself to be the Lamb of God, they took him to the brow of their hill and they were going to throw him off the cliff. This is the amazing way that God paints pictures for us. And so Jesus has an anointing from God. The Spirit of the Lord God, Isaiah 61.1, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty amazing thought. But remember, he came as a full man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And he did receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember, one of the scenes in the Bible that makes that very clear is where? You remember? At his baptism. And John saw the Spirit come upon him like a dove and light on him. And then he went out and he began his public ministry. The book of Acts says the same thing. Peter's preaching to the house of Cornelius. And he said, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and delivering those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good. And one thing that you need to know, you and I need to know, in a basic sense, that's what it really means to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. You go around doing good. That's what Jesus did. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Notice, the Spirit of God is upon me, 61.1. He has anointed me. The, the idea of anointing is the idea of Christ. Christ or Mashiach, the Hebrew, means anointed one. But Jesus was not anointed with oil like the kings of Israel. That was how they were kind of officially put into a position with the anointing oil, or the high priest was. Jesus was not anointed with oil. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came upon him and anointed him with power. What was the purpose of the anointing? The purpose of the anointing was to bring, look at verse 1, good news. The gospel is good news. That's what the gospel means. The basic definition of gospel is good news. So when we preach the gospel, sometimes we want to start with the bad news, right? You're a sinner. Do you know you're a sinner? Let me make sure you're a sinner, <laughs> yeah. And of course, we need to make sure that people know what sin is, and I've emphasized that quite a bit. But we can't forget that we have good news to share. And the good news flows from people who are anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's just a natural overflow. He's anointed me, here's the purpose, to bring good news to who? Look at verse 1, middle of the verse, to the afflicted. Well, there's a lot of people that are afflicted, right? He has sent me to bind up you could think of the idea of binding up to bandage up, like someone who has wounds. Notice who he's going to bandage up, the 
brokenhearted. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Notice who he's going to bandage up, the brokenhearted. There's a lot of brokenhearted people in our world. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's an amazing promise. You know, sometimes I wonder as a Christian, is it possible to serve the Lord and have faith in the Lord and at the same time have a broken heart. And you know what I'm saying? And I think it is. Because sometimes what we do is we go through this world and things break our hearts. Um, Sometimes the actions of people break our hearts. Sometimes we have someone we love who is sick and it breaks our hearts. And they're not getting well. But still, we can serve the Lord, anointed by His Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord... And his presence in our life gives us assurance that that's not the end of the story. You see, this whole chapter and and these final chapters in Isaiah are really telling us that because of that presence of God, because of the good news, the light that has come to a darkened world, we can have hope. Because, brothers and sisters, you and I both know that we live in a broken world. There's a lot of brokenhearted people. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? But Jesus has come to bind up brokenhearted people or to bandage them. And I thought about that thought, and I thought about the um, Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And you remember the man that was taken among thieves, and he was beat up and left for dead, and the priest walks by, and the Levite walks by, and they, they don't render any help. And here comes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan bandaged his wounds, paid for his time at the inn, and he said, if there's any debt left over, I'll be back in these parts and I'll pay his debt. And in that whole picture is a picture of the gospel. We are the people who have been taken among thieves because the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He came, Jesus came, that we might have life and have it to the full. And so Jesus steps in, And he bandages our brokenness. He's come to bind up the brokenhearted. 
He's come to make a proclamation as well. This anointing gives him the power to make the proclamation of liberty to captives. Those who are in captivity in the sense of in captivity to evil. And you can think of Israel being in captivity to Babylon in that sense. And he's come to proclaim freedom to prisoners. Or if, the, if you have an NIV, it says release from darkness for the prisoners. Uh, darkness and light are powerful metaphors in the Bible for evil and good. Darkness is the kingdom of Satan. Light is the kingdom of God. Jesus pulls us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved son. In him we have forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in him. Now all over the book of Isaiah, you'll see this anointing, go to Isaiah 11, and it anticipates the arrival of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11, look at verse two with me. These are um, what we, a lot of these are millennial type passages that talk about the golden age when God um, makes all things right. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted notice of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid or the goat and the calf with the young lion and a fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And a nursing child, amazing, will play by the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Go to Isaiah 42. So we get little shadowy highlights of the servant of the Lord, which is the Messiah. This is Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 42, 1. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice or make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed, 42.3, he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Go to Isaiah 49, look at verse 1. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. Isaiah 49.1, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. And he made my mouth like a sharp sword. 
In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. And then if you would look at uh, Isaiah 50, verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. I shared these verses on Sunday morning. The Lord God, 50 verse 5, has opened my ear. I I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. And I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. And I did not cover my face from humiliating humiliation and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. And you might want to write in your margin Luke 9.51 right here. Therefore I have set my face like flint. And he, he said these words when he was setting his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. The Lord had anointed Jesus for a very specific purpose. It was to come and proclaim this good news to bring the hope, to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Go back to Isaiah 61, verse 2. Let me ask you, has he done that in your life? There's so many areas that he has healed me personally. Uh, It would take a long time to list. But um, he's changed me little by little in so many different areas. And he's come not only to do those things in verse 1, but he's come to proclaim the favorable year or the favorable season of the Lord. And then if you recall in Luke chapter 4, that's where he stopped. He stopped his reading in the middle of Isaiah 61 verse 2. He didn't keep reading. Why? Because at his first coming, he had come to proclaim the favorable season or year of the Lord. That was his first coming. Notice the rest of the verse, and it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. I want you to notice something that I came across as I was studying this. It says there's a favorable year of the Lord, and then there's a day of vengeance of our God. The time of favor is a year or a season. The time of vengeance is a day. And we are between the two right now. The, the favorable year being proclaimed was proclaimed by Jesus, and for now almost, what, 2,000 years, we've had a year of favor. The door's been open of salvation. Whoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But then there's going to be a day, and that, to me, implies a shorter stretch of time. It's going to be more, um, it's going to be quick. It's going to be a day of vengeance of our God. And it's going to be called the day of the Lord. And do you know who the judge is on the day of the Lord? It's Jesus. All judgment has been given to the Son. So not only is Jesus the Savior of the world, he is also the judge of the world. That's why when Jesus paints pictures of the end time judgment, he says, depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. Who's the one making the judgment? Jesus. 
Remember the ten virgins? They're knocking at the door. Open up to us, Lord. I don't know where you're from. I don't know you. You see, the judge, this is a hard thought. Sometimes we don't connect it is going to be Jesus. All judgment has been given to the Son. So just as the Son is Savior of the world, He is also judge. It's good to know the judge. You know, we often say, you know, when the day of judgment comes, uh, Jesus will say to His Father, Oh, Father, I died for that one. He's cool. And we picture the Father as the judge and Jesus as the advocate, which is a biblical picture. But actually, the picture the Bible paints in the end is going to be that we're going to stand before Jesus as the judge. And the judge will have firsthand knowledge if we know him or not. Of course, we're talking about the triune God, so of course God has firsthand knowledge across (laughs) his triune nature. And the day of vengeance of our God, and he will comfort all who mourn. See in verse 2, he will proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In Leviticus 25.10, it says, you shall thus consecrate the 50th year. What was the 50th year in Israel? Do you guys remember? It was called the year of Jubilee. That's right. And you will proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee year for you. And each of you shall return to his own property and each of you returned to his own family. In the year of Jubilee, what would happen? Every 50 years, they would do this in Israel, people would take a whole year off. All debts would be forgiven in the year of Jubilee. You would get land back that you had lost. Everything would, be, uh, would go back. Uh, all losses would be covered over. And some of you are saying, I, can't they do that in the United States? That'd be really, really good, because there's a lot of things that, a lot of debts I'd like wiped out right now. But the year of Jubilee was pointing to a more spiritual point. The year of Jubilee, the favorable year of the Lord, is a proclamation that all of our debts have been forgiven. That the debt has been paid in full. That a Jubilee, a year of release and freedom and rest, will be proclaimed. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says these words. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And now on the day of salvation, I have helped you. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I looked at the NIV. It says, now is the time of God's favor. And the ESV says, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2. We are now in the midst of salvation jubilee. Now is the time when people need to call upon the Lord. Now is the time when we have the freedom to proclaim this message to the world. And you and I have something amazing from God which enables us to do that because the church now stands in the stead of Christ to proclaim the gospel. How do we do that? I mean, most of us, let's face it, we say, we struggle with this idea of witnessing anything. We don't even want to talk to our neighbor about Christ. We don't want to teach a Sunday school class. And what if little Johnny gets mad at me? I I don't know how I, I deal with that. But you have an anointing from God. Acts 1 8 was written 
to the apostles who did struggle with their own flesh. And Jesus said, wait for the Spirit, and you shall receive dunamis power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you, by virtue of that power, will be my witnesses. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you? That's how you accomplish ministry. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Look at verse 4. It says, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, Romans 8.4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds, Romans 8.5, on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Romans 8, 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are uh, being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed, ouch, oh, why did he have to say this? We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he talks about how the, the anxious longing of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Go to 1 John all the way almost to Revelation. 1 John 2, look at verse 15 with me. First John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and I'm pretty sure the word for love there is agape, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh. If you want to know where your problems lie, memorize 1 John 2.16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's one. The lust of the eyes, that's two. 
And the lust of pride, the boastful pride of life, that's three. You know where all your problems come from, fleshly speaking? Your flesh, your eyes, and your pride. Sound familiar? I think he pretty much hit the nail on the head, didn't he? (laughs) So he says, these things are not from the Father, they're from the world or the system of the world. Don't think of the, the globe or the planet. Think of the world's ways. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists or foreshadowings of the ultimate Antichrist have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it may be shown that they, are, they all are not of us. But you, by contrast, have what? An anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Well, then you might say, well, then who's a liar? Well, who's a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Who, whoever denies the Son, 1 John 2.23, does not have the Father. You might want to underscore that verse because you're going to meet a lot of people in your lifetime as a witness who will say to you, I'm spiritual. I believe there's a God, but I don't know about all this Jesus talk. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. As the old jingle says it, you can't have one without the other. That was a weak rendition of it, but you know what I'm saying. Why can't you have one without the other? Because there's one God in three persons. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father because they're the same God. And the anointing gives you the ability to know the truth and to witness to the truth. And all of you have the anointing if you belong to Christ. And sometimes you hear somebody talk about spiritual things and you say, ouch, ooh, and you feel kind of a little radar go off in you. I heard of an old African-American gentleman that became a Christian late in life and uh, he was just a couple weeks old in the Lord, and he was going to this little Baptist church on this street corner. So he was a new disciple, and pastor was trying to watch over him and teach him well. And one day, the pastor walked out of his office, and he saw the old African-American gentleman standing on the street corner, and a Jehovah's Witness had a circle of people he was witnessing to. And the pastor went, oh, no. Oh, no, I got to save my little new convert. But then he decided I, he would just stay back. And he let... I think it was old Fred, you know, he let him listen to the Jehovah's Witness for a while, and then the meeting broke up, you know, a little impromptu meeting, and the pastor comes over to Fred and says, Fred, what did you think about what he was saying? He said, well, pastor, I don't like to know too much about such things, but one thing I know, something deep down inside kept telling me, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar! That's the anointing. You just feel this uneasiness, you know. You say, that, it just, you know, I was talking to a brother earlier. He was witnessing to a uh, Hindu uh, young lady. 
And she said to him that she's fearful of Christians. And he said, why? She said, because sometimes I turn on the television and I watch Christians. And she said, it scares me. See, she, she's gotten a notion of what Christianity is about by watching television. And although there are some good things on Christian television, there's also some real questionable things. And, and if you watch that and you, you, you see people, what, what you have to understand is a lot of people are not going to walk in the church. A lot of people are watching that thing that has that blue light emanating out of it. And so they're surfing and then they come across something that, look, that says it's Christian and that's what they think Christians are. And then they meet you. And you say, I'm a Christian. You are? Yeah. And see, there can be a real confusion in our world. So the Holy Spirit lives in you. And one of his primary things that he does is to give you power. For what? What's the power for? He wants you to bring the good news to people. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And no one, now I understand that there's some, uh, there's Muslim people in Muslim dominated countries that are having dreams about Jesus and coming to Jesus right now. And there's uh, testimonies all over the place about that. But the primary way that Jesus brings the message is through who? Without a preacher, how will they hear? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. That is you and me. And so every day, we got to ask for the extra anointing. What's that look like? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to get through all of Isaiah 61, but that's okay, because we need to talk about this. Ephesians 5.18. So here's what it says. It says, don't get drunk. So as a Christian, there's always been a debate about should a Christian partake and, you know, what should happen here? Well, one thing that you can know, you are not to be drunk. Don't get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18, for that is dissipation. That word really means it's a waste. But by contrast, Instead of being filled with wine, be filled with what? The Spirit. That's a command. And it's a present imperative, so you could render it this way. Be ye kept being filled with the Spirit. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Now, how do you keep a command like that? You ask for it. Jesus said, if you ask for the Spirit, your Father will be happy to give you the Spirit. And I think, you know, trying to understand how this works with the power of the Spirit can be a little confusing and a little debated, but here's, the, here's just one way to think about it. The, the Greek word for filled there is plerao, and it means to be saturated, dominated, and controlled. That's kind of the idea. Be saturated, dominated, and controlled by the Spirit. When someone is drunk with wine and they get pulled over by an officer, 
what the uh, charge usually is, is D-U-I. What does that mean? Driving under the influence. Of what? Of wine or beer or whatever. You, by contrast, should be living under the influence of the Spirit of God. And if you got pulled over, <laughs> they should be able to write a citation. There should be evidence, right, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are under his influence. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means to be under his influence. So how do you get it? You get it by partaking of things that he has filled. Amen? Think with me. What has he filled? His word. So when you eat his word, and the Bible makes it clear that it is like spiritual food to our souls, what you do is you get filled with the things of the Spirit. And then guess what you get? Power. And you know how sometimes you leave church and you'd say, I feel good. I feel like I could talk to 20 people right now about Jesus Christ. And then you go to pull out on Lincoln Avenue and somebody cuts you off and then you say, I don't feel so good. As a matter of fact, I'm mad. And bad words are forming in the back of my brain. What's going on? (laughs) We leak, people. It's true. That's why it's a command. Be kept being filled. It has to be a continuous flow. Worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. He fills praise. So when you praise, guess what he does? He fills you. Amen? So that's why you want to praise, because when you praise, the Spirit is involved with praise. And when you come in, you ever do this? You come into a, a, a worship service, you say, I, I think I, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I just may just keep my arms crossed the whole time, because you know what? I'm just not even feeling, I know, I don't feel it. Right? And then the praise music starts to go up, and your hands start to come out a little bit. And then you just, it's like you just get filled again. And you go, what just happened to me? Well, the Lord fills his people, right? And then you might be a little down and somebody writes you a note of encouragement and they're filled with the Spirit or you meet with a Christian that's on fire and they fire you up and all of a sudden you get filled. See, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you got to partake of things that he fills. Amen? You're not going to get that from carnal things. You're going to get it from spiritual things. Back to Isaiah 61, verse 3, and we're done. Let me ask you, how are you doing? Man, it's a daily battle, isn't it? Isaiah 61. You see, this Messiah has come to grant those who mourn in Zion... He's come to give them a garland. You can think of a crown here instead of ashes. 61.3. He's come to give them, what's your Bible say? The oil of gladness. Uh, as a reference, write down Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, where it says that Jesus had the oil of gladness above his companions. What's the oil of gladness? Well, oil is a symbol of the Spirit Jesus was anointed 
by God with the Spirit. And when you have the Spirit, one thing that will come is gladness, joy. So you won't walk around as an angry Christian. <laughs> I'm angry. Why? I don't know. I don't, I'm out of oil. Right? We'll get some. You have the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Notice these divine turnarounds. You'll have the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Man, the Lord is good. So they will be called, those who have this blessing from Messiah, they'll be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. For what reason? That he may be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word and we are grateful for the message that it brings to us of good news of Messiah. Come to save us and rescue us. Lord, you are good and your gospel is good news. And it's not only present good news, as amazing as it is, amazing as it is that you've indwelt us by your spirit and given us the down payment assuring the future. Yet that future is so bright because there we will enter into a golden age where we will experience the full realization of the gospel. Right now we have the down payment, but on that consummation day, we're going to experience things that we can't even imagine. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So Lord, fill us. Um, and then fill us again and again. And when we get filled, help us to walk as witnesses, as Martin shared with us, to be a witness to this world of the hope that is in us found in Jesus Christ. Minister to your people, I pray. Bless them with a fresh touch. Heal broken hearts tonight. Bind up wounds that may be there, emotional or otherwise, physical, spiritual. I pray your hand of healing will be extended to your church. And I pray, Lord, that we would just have that oil of gladness renewed in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You've been listening to the prophesied ministry of Messiah on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 61. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Now, our Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. And with our app, you can learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor. If you're local to Southern California, the app gives updates and information about upcoming Bible studies, free events, and services, both for you and your kids. If you live outside Southern California, you can still benefit from the Living Truth app because you can listen or watch Pastor Michael's previous teachings, and you can contact the church if you have any questions or comments. Download the free Living Truth app in your app store. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word before we go. Well, you know, as you think about the content of Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the poor, good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year 
of the Lord. You know, um, that's what Jesus read in the synagogue. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. How do we know it's about Jesus? Well, uh, it points to everything that Jesus did. And of course, Jesus validated this when he read this in the synagogue. All the eyes were upon him. And what an exciting thing to know that Messiah, uh, the fulfillment of this prophetic section had come. And even more exciting for me is to know why he came. He came, he had been anointed by the Holy Spirit to what? To bring good news, to heal broken hearts, to set prisoners free, to open up the prison doors, to proclaim the acceptable, favorable year of the Lord. And when Jesus came, he was God's favor, God's gift to the world, God's answer to the question of everything that ails us. Messiah, Jesus Christ, on a mission of mercy. And of course, he fulfilled that mission and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven and he is coming again to fulfill scores of prophecies about his second coming. Just like he fulfilled prophecies about his first coming, so he will fulfill all prophecy about his second coming. Brethren, Jesus is coming again. And he will make everything that's wrong right again. That's what we look forward to. This is Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. So glad that you've joined us as we walk through the book of Isaiah. Remember, you can hear the rest of the content of Isaiah 61 on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you search for Walk in Truth and listen to the rest of this message. Now, we're wrapping up the book of Isaiah quickly, and we're going to move to Philippians in July. We're excited to present that to you. And we want you to go check out the podcasts for Walk in Truth to see what else is on there. More content, more books of the Bible, more uh, a step closer, special topics being addressed, all there. When you search for Walk in Truth uh, on your favorite podcast app, and make sure you follow us or subscribe today. Hey, tell a friend. Keep us in prayer. We love you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. And don't forget, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 61, 4 through Isaiah 62, 12, called for Zion's sake. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.